This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, December 27th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and also have a mini water cooler segment. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? Uh, Ryan, I hope you had a really good Christmas. I hope our listeners had a good Christmas, a good little break there. I'm guessing a lot of people probably aren't, you know, ho- hopefully, fingers crossed, people are sort of kind of taking it easy in this in-between period between Christmas and New Year's and hopefully just sort of easing through the finality of uh, of 2022. And I'm not sure what our podcasting schedule is going to look like this week because we're publishing so much stuff at Slash Film, like so many great um, end of the year lists and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm going to have time to do uh, another podcast this week, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyway, I just I'm glad to uh, to be back on the podcast to be talking to people. And if this is the, the last time that we talk to you, uh, listeners, before 2023, have a happy new year. So I just wanted to get all of that out of the way up top. But Ryan, what has been going on in the world of box office? Uh, Christmas box office weekend typically uh, sort of you know one of the big flashpoints of the year. So what do we need to know? Well, yeah, Christmas can be furl. Uh, uh, also, my apologies to anyone who's listening to this who was on a Southwest Airlines flight. Apparently, they canceled like 90% of their flights today oh, uh, for the rest of the week. So apologies to you people. But um, but yeah, so Christmas, what was interesting about it is that it actually fell on a weekend. Like Christmas Eve was a Saturday and Christmas was a Sunday. So it was like an actual weekend Christmas. Um, so a few studios decided to throw their hat in the ring to see what they could do. Uh, Universal released Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, Sony's TriStar Pictures had Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, from the writer of Bohemian Rhapsody. And Paramount Pictures had Babylon, the latest from uh, Damien Chazelle, who uh, you may know from La La Land or Whiplash. Um, Still, uh, Avatar The Way of Water ate their lunch. Um, uh, The the movie uh, Cameron's latest did $64 over the weekend. Dropped a little over 50%. Um... You know, it's a heavy drop, but so so it's not going to have the legs that the original had. However, um, as of today, it is going to be at $955 million worldwide. It will cross a billion at some point tomorrow. Uh, that's going to make it one of the fastest movies ever to a billion. Um, only thing is, you know, the original, everyone's still looking at that original. The original is about 80 million shy of 3 billion worldwide, so it's not going to get anywhere near that. Um, I'm sort of looking at a finish of anywhere between 1.2 and 1.5 billion at this point, depending on legs. Um, 
but I've also seen budget figures as high as 450 million. So, you know, who knows what that means for profit? And the bigger question is what that means for Avatar 3 is me and Peter kind of discussed recently. But um, as far as the trio of newcomers go, uh, Puss and Boost had the, the had the best uh, debut with 12.4 million. Um you know, it's okay. Uh, it's currently at 58 worldwide because it got an early start on the weekend. The original made 550 million, so it's got a long way to go. Um, kind of like an okay but not great situation. Uh, I want to dance with somebody was pretty disappointing. Didn't even clear five million over the weekend. Uh, it's only got a 40 million dollar budget, so if it can somehow leg out to around 100 million worldwide, you know, Sony can maybe call that a win, but not what they were looking for. And mm-hmm. uh, Babylon is going to go down as one of the biggest bombs of the year. Um, $80 million production budget, less than $4 million uh, opening weekend, debuted to 3.6, like a C-plus cinema score, 55% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, nothing to suggest any kind of legs. So you're looking at a movie that's going to be lucky to clear $10 million. Um, Yeah, so pretty bad stuff there. Did you see Babylon, Ryan? Have you seen it You know. I really wanted to, and I and I still might tonight, but that three hour and ten minute runtime is putting me off. Um, like it is a lot of people apparently, and also I don't know that the trailers did a great job of selling it to people. But uh, but no, have you seen it, Ben? I have. It's um, my uh, favorite movies of the year list is going to go up on Slash Film later this week, and I'm not going to tell you where it falls on that list, but it is on that list. So uh, I really really like this movie a lot. I think it is like uh an assault on your senses. It is like sensory overload for three hours. Um, but there's so much that I love about it. And I know it's like super divisive and obviously it's not doing well, but I just want to encourage our listeners to, you know, if you care about movies and if you like this podcast and, you know, reading about old Hollywood and stuff like that, I think there's, if this movie has somehow slipped under your radar, um, you know, I, I would just encourage people to go check it out. Like whether or not you like it, of course, is like up to up to the, the individual person. I'm not going to like promise that everybody's going to like this movie because I think there's a lot of things that uh, can rub people the wrong way about it. But um, I, I really admired the swing that, that Damien Ch- Chazelle was taking here. And I actually had a chance to, to interview him for Slash Film um, last week. So I, I will link that in the show notes if people get a chance to see the movie. Um, then I would recommend. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because yeah, I, I love Damien Chazelle. I mean, I, I've said it before because I think we were talking, I don't know if it was talking to you or Peter, but talking about the menu and like the menu had my favorite ending in a movie since Whiplash. Like Whiplash mm-hmm. has one of the best, you know, and, and I don't particularly like musicals, but I think La La Land's amazing. And, and I thought First Man was really good and just not enough people saw it. But yeah, Paramount's going to take a bath on this one. And and I speaking of things that are going up this week, I have a huge end of year box office report card that I'm going to put up. And uh, Paramount Pictures is actually going to have a pretty significant uh, place in in that report card because they were the studio this year. They did it right. This Mm -hmm. is kind of their one lone blemish in their whole year, but it's a big one. So uh, the big takeaway for me, though, is that unless you are a franchise um, uh, or a horror movie, you are having a tough time right now. Just to illustrate the the current state status of original films the menu a horror movie is going to end up making more than disney's strange world at the worldwide box office so even disney even an original disney animated movie is going to have a hard time clearing 60 million dollars so i mean yeah we're we're in rough shape in that department but um 
here's to a better year, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully 2023 will, uh, things will be looking up a little bit. And I, I, my understanding is that a lot of stuff was still, there are still a lot of like, um, COVID holdovers and things like that. And, um, and 2023 hopefully is going to be a little bit more of like, um, I don't know. I haven't looked at the entire, you know, every single week on the calendar, but my sense is that like the floodgates are going to be open a little bit more. So fingers crossed that they actually do release a lot more movies next year than they did this year. Cause I think that was a big problem as well. Um, so, you know, we'll yeah, just it's just those. the types of movies that are still not making any money, you know, like the Fableman's not making any money empire of light. I don't even think it's made a million dollars. Like, you know, just some of the movies that just can't make a dime, but you know, we'll see. But so there we go. There's some box ops for you guys. Okay. So let's, uh, let's just jump right into the water cooler, right? And this is going to be a relatively short episode. Um, you mentioned Puss in Boots, the last wish I talked about this. uh, Well, I didn't talk about it. I mentioned that I saw it like, I don't know. It feels like several weeks ago now. And I never actually like talked about the movie. I really, really like this movie a lot. It's like one of my favorite animated movies of the year. Um, Have you had a chance to see this one yet, Ryan? No, but I got to tell you, um, uh, I never even saw the first Puss in in Boots. And and I'm one of those people that I will put Shrek 2 up there with, and I'm not kidding, any of the best sequels ever made. Like Shrek 2 is so good. Um, But but, uh, but everyone, the way that people are talking about this movie, I'm absolutely going to go see it. Um, it, people have been really, you know, playing it up and I'm, I'm excited to check it out now. Yeah. I, I mean, I liked the first Shrek when it came out in 2001 or whatever year that was. And then I think I saw Shrek two probably once. And then I just sort of like fell off the whole Shrek franchise. Didn't really, you know, keep going on that main timeline there. I did see the original Puss in Boots, which I want to say came out in like 2011 or something. It was and 2011. Was like, yeah. Yeah. That was like a surprising, uh, you know, revival sort of spinoff thing of that franchise. And like, yeah, I thought that was a pretty successful movie. This one is like far and away better than, than that uh, movie because the, the basic premise here is that Puss in Boots, the sort of like debonair, suave, like essentially Zorro, um, you know, version of a, a fairy tale cat kind of character who's, who lives in this world. who's like fighting giants and going on adventures all the time. He's like um, used up all but one, all but his last of, of, uh, of his nine lives. And he's essentially confronted with mortality and like what it means that he doesn't have this, uh, this parachute anymore. And it's it's a movie that really like has this character grappling with what it means to, um, you know, live in fear of of dying and like how that completely changes his personality. And he he goes from this sort of swashbuckling figure, swashbuckling figure to, you know, much more um, sort of domesticated cat. And then, of course, he gets called back into action and uh, reunited with some some old friends and they they go on this uh, adventure together. But it really is a, a movie that like takes those very big ideas and, and kind of adult ideas um, it, very seriously. And I really, really loved the way that the film approached that sort of core theme that, that really, um, you know, it explores all the way throughout. So, and, and there's some great uh, voice acting in here. Um, Antonio Banderas, Selma Hayek, uh, uh, Florence Pugh is a is one of the supporting characters. John Mulaney voices a, the antagonist of the movie. Um, so there, there's a lot of really fun stuff going on here, and the the animation looks incredible. It's it's not quite like um, Into the Spider Verse in terms of like the um, innovation and like jaw dropping. Holy crap! I've never seen this in a movie before, kind of thing. But there is some really really um, 
I don't know, just like a uh, very striking imagery where it's like a, a blend of 2d and 3d and there's some, some anime influences in there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's super stylized in a really great way. And um, it's just a really well-written uh, family film. So I, I think it, it sort of um, rises above what you would think, you know, maybe if you see a trailer or something, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to actually um, convey th- the, the, uh, the wide variety of reasons that this movie, you know, the, the, all the things that this movie has in its corner, you know, like the reasons that you, you should go and check it out. So, well, yeah, cause those trailers didn't sell me too much. What sold me is people I really trust talking very effusively like you right now, like, and that's, what's got me going on it. Yeah. If, if you, you know, saw a trailer or something out there, if you're a listener to this podcast and saw a trailer and just like, you know, wrote it off as like, oh yeah, another Shrek movie or whatever. It's definitely not that. And I love the, the fact that it, it does not wink at, you know, to any of the other Shrek stuff really um, almost at all. I, I don't think there's any, like, it's not one of those sort of franchise movies that is just constantly, um, you know, calling back and nudging and winking and being like, Hey, look at these references we're making. It's, it's very um, smartly done. So uh, that is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. It's in theaters right now. Uh, I also caught up with 3,000 Years of Longing, the new George Miller movie that came out earlier this year. I missed mm. that in theaters. Um, so did, did everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that that actually might be, I, I think, I mean, it. that made my, I put up a list for us of the biggest bombs of the year and that made it. It's hard to sort of quantify what the biggest bomb is, but that's, there. you could make an argument that was the biggest one of the year, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's really sad because I I really enjoyed the movie. I think there's um so much to recommend with this, like starting with Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba's performances. They're they're great uh, as always. But um George Miller, man, he's just, just such a, a visionary director. And like I don't know, have you ever seen this movie uh, called The Fall, Ryan? From I think it's 2006. Uh, Tarsem Singh directed it. I stars, have not. Okay, stars Lee Pace, and it's a it was a really really difficult movie to see for a long time. But Roger Ebert was like raving about it back in the day. I remember reading his review and and being like, I have to see this immediately. And uh, I saw this movie out, and I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere right now. Maybe I'll try to find out before the end of this episode and, and let people know. But man, if you have a chance to see The Fall, it is like one of the most visually dazzling movies I've ever seen. The location work on that film is is just stunning. But uh, the sort of structure of that movie is like a character is telling a story to a little girl and the sort of fairy tale um, story that he's telling the movie cuts from, it's almost like a, like princess bride almost, you know, where, where somebody's telling a story and then it actually jumps back in time and, and shows you or jumps to the side, I guess, and shows you that story taking place. And that's a similar thing that happens in 3000 years of longing where um, I guess the, the main action of the movie is, um, Idris Elba and uh, he who plays a genie or a djinn and um, Tilda Swinton in a hotel room and uh, Idris Elba's character is like regaling her with the stories of his past and how he came to be trapped in the bottle and all these adventures that he went on and, and characters that he met and so forth and all of that stuff is shot um, you know the movie sort of transfers out of the hotel room and, and uh, depicts those those events and it's really just like stunning to look at um, it's a real shame that it didn't perform very well I mean that's like I know he's already in production on or maybe even done with production by now on Furiosa the the sort of prequel yeah, to yeah Furiosa's done filming yeah. okay good um, so you know he's, he's probably going to be fine hopefully considering how well 
Mad Max Fury Road did. Uh, hopefully, there's going to be a big audience still for for um, Furiosa, and and so I hope that means that George Miller gets to continue making movies. But this one re- really feels like a um, there's a whole pl- a podcast called Blank Check, that, and this really feels like a blank check movie where uh, where you know Fury Road earned all these Oscars and did all you know made all this money and and was like this big international sensation and and a movie that everybody seems to love, directors, uh, audiences, whatever. And it just feels like he finally was like, okay, I'm going to take all this clout and put it into this, this smaller movie that I care a lot about. And unfortunately, it just didn't connect with a lot of people. But I think I think it's really still worth watching. Um, you can quibble with like the very end of the movie. Um, I I'm, I didn't love the way that it everything completely wrapped up, but there's so much in here that's uh, that's really great that I have no problem recommending it um, to people. So that's called Three Thousand Years of Longing. It's available on. I think streaming and and, uh, you can rent it and all that stuff right now. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Okay, getting into the Christmas releases, I just wanted to mention, uh, I rewatched Klaus, which came out in, I think, 2018, 2019, the animated movie. It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix I original. I still have not watched that. People have told me it's great. It's incredible, Ryan. It's so good. I, I know I talked about it when it, it first came out a couple of years ago, but I just wanted to reiterate, like, uh, I guess maybe I've missed the boat now because it's December 27th and who wants to watch a Christmas movie now after having spent this entire month probably watching Christmas movies, but make sure to like, you know, go into your, uh, into your calendar app and set a note, uh, uh, an alert or something for December, 2023 and remind yourself to watch Klaus then, because, uh, it's like one of the best examples of turning something, um, that we all know, the idea of Santa Claus into intellectual property and like um, creating like an origin story for a thing that we all know in a way that does not feel uh, corporate or um, cringy or like uh, manipulative or, um, you know, all the things that that you would expect from the idea of like, oh God, they're doing an origin story for Santa Claus. That sounds terrible. No, this is like uh, Lord and Miller level of like, taking a bad idea and turning it into something really, really good because of the execution. So um, Klaus is on Netflix. If you want to check that out, uh, maybe, if, I don't know, if anybody wants to watch it after Christmas, it's it's probably going to be sitting there for a while. But um, yeah, maybe set an alarm for next year to check it out, especially you, Ryan. I'm curious to, to see what you think about that one. And then uh, we both rewatched uh, Die Hard. Sure so did. Wh- I'll, I'll just let you take the, the lead on this one. What do you think about your most recent viewing of this movie? Uh, it's one of, so me and my girlfriend just moved into an apartment and, uh, she, so I wasn't there most of the week cause I was at home visiting family. So I got home Christmas night, like evening of Christmas. And we, like the first thing we did was like, we exchanged presents and we like, I, you know, I was like, Hey, so like I watched Die Hard pretty much every Christmas. Like I would love it if, you know, we did that together. And she was like, great. So she hadn't seen, she's not like me. She hasn't seen it a thousand times, but I, what always blows my mind when you watch Die Hard is like, you like in your head, you're like, I know this movie's pretty much perfect but then you just you get 20 minutes into it and you're like oh my god what a wonderful premise for a film i love this and you're just like it's like it's like you've never seen it before yeah. and it's one of those movies that just sucks you in it is seriously it is my fourth favorite movie of all time and there is such a good reason for that like it is just i it is just perfect on every level there's not a wasted frame in that movie it just I don't know. Bruce Willis is not like the jacked action star. He's like the everyman action guy and just every, I don't know. I mean, what can you say about this movie that hasn't been said? But like, all I can tell you is it 
24 years later, this movie or 34 years later, uh, this movie holds up like nobody's business. It's great. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's become like over the past, I don't know what it's been, 10, at least 10 years now, there's been like the, this conversation of whether or not it's a Christmas movie. It's like dominated the internet. It's like one of those things that will never die. It's just like the conversation keeps coming up over and over again to the point where it almost feels like it, it um, not quite ruined the movie for me, but like made me like kind of roll my eyes and like groan a little bit at the idea of watching it just because there, you know, that happens sometimes when like the discourse poisons a thing so much that it just sort of puts me off to a subject. But like you said, as soon as you put it on, it's like, oh yeah, like all of that is just nonsense. That is, you know, just noise happening on the fringes because this movie is like this, this pure object that is just like so perfect as it It, exists. it, It speaks to the power of it, that it can rise above any, you know, nonsensical conversation the internet wants to have about it. And it just like, exists on this pedestal of like you know brilliant action like wonderful character work like every single thing about it i I love the 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 sort of process nature of it where like hans gruber and his guys show up and they're just like silent for a long time and they're just like doing stuff and you're just watching people do things um you know go step by step and it's so like procedural in that way and it's so satisfying just to like watch all of these things play out in this order i know it sounds dumb or simple or whatever but like th- there's a um a majesty to this movie in in that simplicity i think no and it's even even goes down and also i'll never get over the fact that this was uh um alan rickman's first movie like his yeah. first like it's just crazy that he gets to be the second greatest movie villain of all time you know, like with it for his first movie role. And and I love that it is just as simple as like, sometimes you don't need to complicate things like, oh no, we just want a shitload of money. Like we don't want, we're literally posing as terrorists to make this complicated for the outsides. We just want a shitload of money. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like, I love that it's that simple. I love that it's like, literally like, this is the most efficient way for us to get $640 million, you yeah. know? And just like, and, and, and I don't know. I just, it, it, every time I watch it, I think, so maybe the magical wear off, maybe some, and, and it just, it doesn't ever disappoint. It is one of those movies for a reason. So I have to ask you, you said the second greatest uh, villain of all time. Who, who's the greatest, Ryan? Come on, it's Darth Vader. We all know, like, there's no, there's no getting around that Darth Vader is the greatest. Like the, the, there's no if ands, or buts about that. I don't, I, that's one of those ones where I don't want to hear any cute discussion about like, <laughs> like about like, Oh no, no, it's, it's Darth Vader. And there isn't like, it's, it's, it's a fight for second place. That's all that it's ever been like <laughs> since 1977. That's all that it's ever been. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> maybe that'll be a conversation for another podcast that you may or may not be on if you, depending on your, uh, your tolerance for cute discussion about it. Um, okay. What else have you been watching, Ryan? Um, so I, on the plane ride home and the aforementioned plane ride, I rewatched once upon a time in Hollywood, which, um, it was weird when I first watched it, it was maybe my second least favorite Tarantino movie. And it is now it's hard because he's one of my favorite directors, but it's it's moved very far up the list. It was a movie I didn't fully grasp the first time I watched it. And then and then it, it's really become kind of a comfort watch for me, um, along with Hateful Eight, weirdly enough. Uh, but yeah, like I, I really I think I'm the only one I feel like I feel like I'm the only one that thinks Hateful Eight's as good as it is. But but uh but I, yeah, I love Hateful Eight. Chris Evangelista really loves Hateful Eight. He, he did an interview with Tarantino a few years ago about that. Um, and uh 
yeah, man. Like the thing about what you're saying though, Ryan, is it's really interesting. Obviously, they're both directed by the same, written and directed by the same person, but the uh, the tonality of those two movies could not be more different. And yeah. you still consider both of them like comfort movies, which is really interesting. For back to back, but Tarantino's like that for me. He's been, I mean, because because again, going back to my favorite movies of all time, you know, Pulp Fiction is one of them. Pulp Fiction was one of the movies that sort of, you know, all like made me into a, like a film guy. You mm -hmm. know, like that was one of those like, oh, I love film now. Like, but so, yeah, it's just one of those. I mean, I don't have anything to say about the movie that hasn't been said already. It's just it's, I, I can tell you guys three years on. It's still good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's all I can really tell you. I. That's uh, great. But yeah, as far as uh, as far as new stuff goes, I was trying to get caught up on some end of year stuff just for my personal, you know, whatever. And I watched I had a weird double feature last week. I watched uh, Deadstream, which is uh, the Shutter original found footage horror film that a lot of people have been talking about. And then I watched Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers on Disney Plus. Uh, and uh, it was a all I can say is the double feature finished stronger than it started. Mm. Uh, Chip and Dale is so good. Everyone told me that it was, but it's so good. Um, I know you've seen it, right? You so you've seen Chip and Dale. I have. And I really enjoyed it. Yes. I know my one of the funniest like people talked about it like oh it's funny and i'm like okay i thought but it is like like gut bustingly funny at times like there's a point where they go they have to go investigate something they're going to like this you know really like oh it's like this cute wonderful street with all these you know characters on it and then i think it's chip is explaining like no 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 like everything underneath the surface is terrible and he talks about like this girl that like you know, arranges Muppet fights and like all this stuff. And it just was like one of, it, when the words Muppet fights left his mouth, I was just like in tears. Um, I thought it was so good. So if that somehow slipped under your radar, I, I mean, it, it's like 90 minutes worth of just absolute delight. Um, yeah, I would, so I, I would definitely hard recommend for Chippendale for me. Here's a question, Ryan. Do you think that movie, now having seen it, do you think that movie would have done well if they released it theatrically? Yes, I think they screwed up so bad by like because they think there was a good marketing. They didn't market it right, like because they were they were marketing for a streaming release, so they weren't marketing for a theatrical. I I certainly don't think they had anything to lose going theatrical. Like I think they I think that there was a chance that movie broke out. Especially there were a couple of periods where things lulled this year, where there were not much, where there wasn't much coming out. I think Disney could have absolutely. And I think, and again, going to the box office report card, I'm going to write up. I think one of the things we learned that like with an expensive movie, there's, there's very little evidence for like a streaming only release being a good idea anymore. Cause even like something like Lightyear, which bombed at the box office. Well, it did tremendously well on Disney plus after the fact. So like, you know, there wasn't really an argument to be made that should have only went to streaming. Cause it, there's an argument to be made that that, theatrical release even though it wasn't great overall ended up boosting its numbers on streaming later mm -hmm. so i just think that you know chippendale it might have had a chance to break out but even if it had done modestly well in theaters it would have probably become an even bigger hit on disney plus after the fact so i just yeah. think i think there's very little argument anymore for like a for like an even mid to high budget movie going direct to streaming but that's you know so yeah, yeah. And then you also, uh, you mentioned Deadstream. Um, I've not, I don't have Shudder. Um, I've heard a lot of people say actually good things about this one. I think Jacob is a big fan of this one, but it sounds like you, it wasn't really up your alley. Uh, so I actually am a big fan of a good found footage movie. And now let me just say, this is one of those situations where by no fault of the movie's own, this movie 
got a lot of like really, really, really loving reviews from people that I really trust. People loved this movie. So I went into it like really hyped up and it's good, but I just think that level of hype didn't quite like I had a hard time sort of meeting the hype level that had been hit in my head. So it's like mm-hmm. a good movie. So it's not fair for me to say anything like that. That's that's like the, the world putting stuff on that movie that like isn't the movie's burden to bear. Right, right. You know, like so. So that was where I kind of ended up with it. But um, it's good. It's funny. Like it, it's a very like inventive, you know, like the, the basic premise is this um YouTube streamer is like he just faces all of his fears on his YouTube channel and he just came off like a two month ban. So he goes for like his biggest fear, which is ghosts. So he goes to spend like a haunted night in a haunted house. And it just, you can imagine it goes south from there. And and like, it's the guy, I don't know the actor's name, but the guy, he's like pretty much on camera 95% of the time is really funny. And like, just, he has to spend half the movie just yelling and screaming and being in pain. <laughs> and like, you know, it, it um it's fun. It's a fun watch. It just, people made it seem like it was going to be, you know, life-changing in some way. And I can't say yeah. that it got there, but it's a, it's a fun watch and it's a quick watch. So like, if you've got Shudder, absolutely give it a spin. Just, you know, hopefully you don't end up in the situation where I did, where, you know, people made it seem like it was going to be the godfather of found footage movies and it, and it kind of wasn't. That okay. uh, honor belongs to Cloverfield for the record, but you know. Yes. Oh man, what a great movie. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, except for this week. I'm not sure. Like I said, hopefully we'll see what happens. Uh, the show brings you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as a deeper a deeper dive into the great features that we have on SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.